and welcome back to another episode of A Cozy Christmas Podcast. I'm your host, Art, and I have a very special episode planned for today. I won't be reading a story today, but I'll be talking about Ray Bradbury's Christmas story, The Gift, along with Arthur C. Clarke's story, The Star. Both tell a very interesting perspective on the Christmas star, and I hope you enjoyed them. But today we have a special guest. I had the opportunity to interview Sam Weller. He is an author and the biographer of Ray Bradbury and has been involved this year in a lot of events celebrating the 100-year anniversary of Ray Bradbury's birth. And as a giant fan of Ray Bradbury, I thought it would be great to get him on the show to talk about Ray Bradbury. Knowing that this is a Christmas podcast and Bradbury is not necessarily known for his Christmas stories, he did write a couple of them. I needed no other excuse than to be able to uh, to get Sam Weller on here to talk about that. Let's get started. Over the next two weeks, we're going to be doing some special celebrating for Halloween. Really, October 31st begins a could possibly be the best two months of the year with you got halloween thanksgiving and christmas to celebrate that uh, i've got some very special episodes planned starting probably sometime the middle of this week i will be sending you a mini series i'm calling stories for halloween and you don't need to subscribe to anything new they will come right into your your podcast feed if you're subscribed to the show I hope you will enjoy those. And what I've done is I've found uh, three old Christmas stories that walk on the scarier side of things. As you know, the Victorians love to tell ghost stories around the fire during Christmas time. And I want to continue that tradition. So I have found three stories and those will be those will be special episodes, but it's mostly just going to be me telling the story. I'll introduce it and then close it out. So it'll be just the story. If you like listening to audio dramas, I want to recommend a new one that's just started. The first episode was out this past week, and it's called The Way We Haunt Now. It is an audio drama about friendship, found family, and fighting the narratives that try to define us, even in the afterlife. And it's written by uh, Courtney Floyd, and she's one of the co-hosts of the wonderful Victorian Scribblers, uh, a podcast that I have thoroughly enjoyed and have learned so much from. But she has written, directed, produced, and is starring in this new audio drama. And again, it's called The Way We Haunt Now. And you can find that information on that on Twitter at HauntNowPod, as well as going to HauntNowPod.com. The first episode is described in this way. Eulalie Elizabeth Reed is haunted by lots of things. Paths not taken, failed relationships, mistakes, fears hopes, but she's never been properly haunted before. That's about to change. The Way We Haunt Now is a speculative fiction audio drama about female friendship, found family, and fighting the narratives that try to define us, even in the afterlife. Oh, and ghosts. Did I mention ghosts? It follows dual protagonists Eulalie Reed and Frankie Summerson on their crash course toward self-fulfillment and friendship as they struggle to make the most of life and what comes after. So you will find all that information on her podcast and on her, on the website I share. I highly recommend it. I've heard the first episode and it was really good. And I'll have links in the show notes. And I want to recommend a book 
for you as well to read this month called Dark Black. And it is a collection of short stories, and it's written by Sam Weller, the man I'm interviewing today. Sam Weller has put together a collection of about 20 stories, I think. Some are chilling, some are gothic, and some are just uh, are, are just fiction, but it's a delightful mix. And I've been reading about one story a day throughout this month. I, I really wish I could just hurry through and read them all, but I want to savor these stories. They're, they're like when you're served a delicious meal and you don't want to rush through, you just want to you just want to savor each and every bite. That's how I feel about these stories. They have been really a delight to read, and some of them are downright creepy. There's one uh, that is a ghost story set in the Old West that had me on the edge of my seat. And I and we talk about that in the interview, um, along with a couple of the other stories. There's a few that I haven't read yet that I'm going to as, as the month proceeds. But if you like to read scary stories and gothic stories during October, this is a great book I would recommend you to read. And we'll, we'll talk more about it in the interview, but I'll have the links in the show notes for you. Turning our attention to Christmas in Space, there is a book I would like to also recommend to you. It seems like science fiction doesn't often tap into Christmas. It's almost as if people think that in the future, maybe we would stop celebrating that. And it could be because of the religious side of it. I want to recommend a book of short story to you. Um, it's called A Lot Like Christmas by Connie Willis. Um, Connie Willis is a, if you're not familiar with her work, she's a um, very talented writer, has won numerous awards like the Hugo, I think the Nebula Award, some big science fiction awards. And uh, she's put together a collection of science fiction themed stories that are connected with Christmas. I, I think those are, it's a great collection if you like science fiction, if you like Christmas stories, it puts Christmas in a different context than it's usually in. And so I would, that's another book I would recommend. And I'll put a link to that book in the show notes. One quick announcement, be on the lookout on my social medias for the announcement of the winner of the Scrooge Christmas ornament. We do have a winner, and I'll be announcing that uh, when this episode drops. I want to thank everyone who sent in Christmas memories. Uh, it means so much to hear from you. I want you to continue to uh, send in your memories. And if you send me a memory, I will send you a Christmas card and a sticker of the for the podcast. And we'll have some other contests in the not-too-distant future as well. Do please continue to get those memories to me. Small Step for Man, One Giant Leap for Christmas Podcasts. What will Christmas in the future be like? That's an interesting question, especially in this time of uncertainty that we have before us. Will the pandemic change things? Will technology change things? In Ray Bradbury's short story, The Gift, the family is going to space, but they have to leave behind all of their Christmas decorations and presents. And yet, they're still able to celebrate. And it's a profound moment as the young boy looks out through 
out through the window of the observation deck and sees the glory of all of space before him. And perhaps in the way that the Christmas star brought hope and joy to those who saw it, maybe uh, the stars of the galaxy brought that same hope and joy and wonder to the boy in our story. So I hope you have a chance to read those, those two stories and then enjoy this, this interview with Sam Weller. We have a special Halloween edition of a cozy Christmas podcast, and I have with me Sam Weller. He's an author. He is a two-time Bram Stoker award-winning writer and the authorized biographer of the late Ray Bradbury, and he teaches in the MFA program at Columbia College in Chicago. And so, Sam, I'm very grateful that you're taking the time to, to come over and, and uh, chat with me today. Uh, it's my pleasure, Art. Thanks for inviting me. This is great. I'm a huge Christmas lover. I love Christmas. It's my favorite holiday. So oh, that and Halloween. That and oh, Halloween. Good. I, I was wondering if it would be uh, either Halloween, if it was Halloween or not, but you know, it's all a good time of year. Yeah. It, you know, the bookends between Christmas and or Halloween and, and Christmas is just really a magical period of, of the year. Even in the midst of COVID, it's still a magical time. I mean, that's how I really got started doing this podcast this, this year was because of COVID. Uh, several people have started new uh, Christmas podcasts too, and, and different podcasts and things. So my wife, when we knew we were going to be locked up for a while, she said, okay, all you guys, you need to learn to do something, you know, find a new hobby, yeah. do something just so you're not sitting around the house worrying about getting sick. Right. So I, I thought, you know, I've been wanting to do a podcast actually for a couple of years. I finally decided uh, I, I took Ray Bradbury's advice actually. And when he said, don't think, just do it, you know, jump off the cliff and build your wings on the way down. <laughs> I said, yeah. All right. Good, so, that's very good advice. And that's probably my favorite Bradbury quote. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, I chose to use that quote at the beginning of my first book on him, the Bradbury Chronicles, the, the biography of Ray. I, I mm -hmm. used that quote at the beginning because that quote, he was so quotable and, and so filled with life wisdom. But that that quote to me just embodies his spirit so beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of my favorites of his too. And so like I, I was telling you, I wasn't sure should I do a, a book podcast, a Christmas one? And there's a community of year-round Christmas podcasters I've been listening to. And I just thought, I, I know more what I want to do with this. So <laughs> so here I am. Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I introduced you a little bit. Um, anything else you want to add about who you are and what you do? Well, doing? sure. Sure. You know, that introduction you 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 shared or just that that little bio is is in the back of my new book dark black um but i most noted i imagine as the authorized biographer of ray bradbury i met ray in 2000 on the occasion of his 80th birthday uh, i interviewed him for a chicago tribune sunday magazine story you know, he had lived in los angeles most of his life, he was born in Illinois um, and lived in, in Waukegan, Illinois, off and on until he was 13, and then moved to L.A. in April of 1934 and lived there for the rest of his life. So I flew out there in 2000 from my home in Chicago to his 
visited him at home uh, in LA and we just really hit it off. And what started as a magazine feature story, a profile of a great Illinois author, a great global author, turned into four books and a graphic novel. I've done four books and a graphic novel, all kind of uh, connected to Bradbury in one way or another. And so that's really been the gift that that just uh, continues to give in my life. I travel mm-hmm. the world talking about him and our friendship and, and his approach to creativity. And I'm most often invited to come talk about Fahrenheit 451 because that book is one of his best known books. And it's the one that's most often assigned in schools. So, mm-hmm. so along with being the Bradbury biographer, I, I write for a number of other publications, magazines, uh, short stories. Um, I write a lot of short stories for literary journals and so on. And so I've, I've got a brand new book that came out just a few weeks back called Dark Black. And that's 20 kind of very modern Gothic short, short stories. So that's, that's pretty much my biography as it stands now. <laughs> <laughs> and always add into it. <laughs> yeah, one would hope. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, I, I'm reading uh, Dark Black right now, and I'm about halfway through, and I'm really enjoying that. Um, yeah, it, and I, I'm going to recommend your book for people who want to read something, you know, Halloween adjacent. There, there are some stories there that will creep you out. A couple nights ago, I read I read the one, uh, Monsters and Angels. I'm like, okay, I'm not sleeping tonight. <laughs> that, that one kind of was, was, was intense, but it, uh, really amazing. So well, thanks for saying that. I, I yeah. you know, Bradbury told me once that he had, I asked him if he ever wrote a Western mm-hmm. and he said, you know, really the only one I ever did, I started a story that he wanted to give to film director, John Houston. And it was about a ghost horse. It was mm-hmm. a, it was a haunted Western. And that always stuck with me. He never finished the story. He kind of abandoned it, but it, the idea of a haunted Western really stuck with me. And so that's kind of what I set out to do with that story. It's kind of takes place on the plains in the late 1800s. And, mm-hmm. and I really could, took that idea to heart. I love sort of a fusion of genres, you know, where it's not just a Western or it's not just a romance story, or it's not just fantasy. It could be multiple genres. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I set out to do with that one. So thanks. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. Well, and, and Bradbury would do that too. He would fuse genres constantly from what I've read of him. And I, I think I've read most of what he's written. Every once in a while, I'll come across one I don't either don't remember or uh, haven't read yet. There's a lot of it out there to read. Yes. You know, he's very prolific in his, you know, his first published story was 1938 and his last published piece ran the week he passed away in 2012. So hmm. in between that time, he wrote, he wrote an awful lot, you know? And so if you've read most of it, you're, you're, you're a well-read individual. Art. <laughs> <laughs> or, or obsessive. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Too. Yeah. You know, you shared about how you met him, you know, to work related, but what about as a reader? You know, there's, I kind of came across him twice and Ray loved this story. When my mother was pregnant with me, she was in the eighth month of her pregnancy. My dad uh, read Bradbury aloud to her. They would read books aloud to each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, he read uh, from the illustrated man, his night Bradbury's classic short story collection. You know, so I think my first encounter with Ray Bradbury was in utero. (laughs) You know, I'm exposed to him while in the womb and then I become his authorized biographer. He thought that that sounded in and of itself like a Bradbury story. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, Definitely. 
when I was 11, I picked that very same copy of the illustrated man off my dad's bookshelf. Uh, it was a frayed bantam paperback with uh, cover artwork of really iconic cover artwork of the illustrated man from behind. You're seeing his back. He's mm -hmm. sitting on a wooden crate with sort of this red molten landscape. And his, you see all the tattoos on him. And I just stared at that cover endlessly, you know, and it just captivated me. And we were living in Minnesota at the time. I'll never forget it. I went down to the basement of the house and just opened the book up at random and read The Long Rains, the story about this crew on this crash landed on Venus. Mm -hmm. And Venus in Bradbury's world is a rain planet. It, it rains endlessly. And they're, they're, it's very much sort of a man versus nature conflict. It's the crew of the crashed rocket trying to find their way through this jungle rain planet to find a sun dome where uh, there's, there's these domes planted across Venus that they can built around Venus and they're, they're seeking a sun dome to get out of the rain. I just absolutely fell in love with that story. It's almost like Jack London in space. The language of it is pure Bradbury. You know, it's poetic, it's visual. It's got this lyrical quality to it. I just absolutely was pulled over by that story and then went to the beginning of the book and read The Veld which is a classic Bradbury story. And from that point forward, I was, I was hooked. I think Bradbury is the greatest gateway author ever. By that, I mean helping young adult readers discover literature because he writes about fun things and, and outer space and haunted houses and uh, dinosaurs. He writes about things that appeal to kids, but he's without any question whatsoever, a great literary writer. So from that point forward, I was completely obsessed. And so, you know, interestingly enough on a Christmas podcast here, I started to get all of Bradbury's books as Christmas gifts uh, mm -hmm. every year from that point forward. Those were, you know, if you were to ask me what were the best Christmas gifts I've ever received, they were every year through my teen years, my parents giving me Bradbury books. And I read all of them like you have. And he made me then decide that I too want to be a writer. You know, I, I wanted to tell stories. And so I started to write my own books when I was 11 and 12 years old. And it's been something I've done now for the rest of my life. It's interesting just how diverse uh, a field of things he would write in. Uh, I, I'm reading um, John Eller's biography right now, um, Becoming Ray Bradbury. And I was, again, just amazed at, you know, he's writing novels, short stories, plays, I, I think eventually comic books, maybe, yep. or graphic novels, uh, TV scripts, radio scripts. I mean, everything. Yeah, it's, you know, it's he's, amazing. He's a Renaissance man. I mean, he was a 20th yeah. century Renaissance man. I mean, we, we think about Da Vinci as a Renaissance man. So it was Bradbury. He did architectural design. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, not the blueprints, but he would write the concepts out as essays and then work with architects to interpret his ideas. And so he designed shopping plazas in Southern California. He designed the interior ride uh, for Spaceship Earth at Epcot Center. He designed mm -hmm. the uh, U.S. Pavilion at the 1964 World's Fair in New York. I mean, uh, like you said, I mean, there was not a, a media or medium that Bradbury didn't really work in. He was fearless. You know, he really embodied that that quote you said, jump off the cliff and build your wings on the way down. If he yeah. had not written a screenplay, he'd never really written a screenplay before. And John Huston, the film director, asked him to adapt Moby Dick to the screen. And so he'd not written a screenplay and making matters even more challenging. He'd never read Moby Dick, uh, <laughs> you know, but he goes and jumps off the cliff and builds his wings. And the film came out in 1956 and it, it's a remarkable 
movie. It's wonderful. You know, he, he embodied that quote. He, he, he was fearless. He did really whatever he wanted. He created simply for the joy of creativity. No mm-hmm. other reason. And, and in that way, he's just a magical human being. When I read his um, Zen and the Art of Writing, and he, he I think it was in that one, he explains how every day he, he gets up and he runs to his typewriter and he pounds out a thousand words. And that's how he starts his day. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I can't get through without coffee. It's like, if you took his typewriter away, I think he'd be done yeah. for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he, he drank coffee, but it wasn't like his go-to, you know, it was yeah. funny. The little details I, I noticed about him, he made himself instant coffee every morning, like Senka, you know, mm-hmm. or one of the, you know, not a huge coffee drinker, but he certainly was a grand morning writer. He loved getting up, like you said, yeah. mornings and writing because he felt that you're still in this sort of awakening stage, this dream state where your mind is more open, uh, more experimental. Uh, you're still kind of half asleep, you know, and he felt that if you rush right out of bed and write in that period of time, right out of bed, that you're sort of accessing your subconscious, yeah. uh, your dream state. My first experience with him, I, I was a teenager, maybe around 14 or 15. I was at that stage where, you know, the young adult books were, you know, I'd read them all in our library and I was looking for something maybe more adult, but, you know, I wasn't ready for serious adult stuff. And I was just got kind of in between stage. You know, I, I liked mysteries. I liked science fiction. You know, I was a Star Trek, Star Wars fan. So this librarian said, well, you, you should try out Ray Bradbury. And I thought, oh, I, that name sounds familiar. So I, I was looking around and found him and I picked up the Martian Chronicles. That opening quote from the philosopher, you know, he yeah. says, it's good to renew one's wonder. Space travel has made children of us all. And I love that. Yeah. Now, is that actually a quote that he came up with then, or is he that, actually? That, I think that's his quote, actually. Yeah. You know, he's the philosopher. Right. Uh, and, you know, he really was a philosopher. He he was filled with life wisdom. And I do know you want to talk about his connection to space. Yeah. That sums it up. I mean, there was a mystery and a majesty to him, to outer space. He looked at the universe in and of itself as this great, mystery and that we are the audience. Humanity is the audience to witness and celebrate that majesty. Pretty amazing. In that book, when I first read it, it, you know, as a teenager, I was in kind of a dark place at the time too. My, you know, my parents had divorced, just felt that connection with him that there's a few authors that I really just feel like I connect with, you know, and he's one of them. And by the time I got to the end of that book, I was ready to go back and start reading it again. But I, I love the ending of the Martian Chronicles when, you know, they're on, they're on Mars and, you know, oh. the family's there and, and it's all empty and it's just theirs to start new, to start fresh, to, you know, in some ways have a redemption to start over. Yeah. And I think that was so powerful. Yeah. You know, I would, people often ask me what my favorite Bradbury book is and there's just so many great ones to choose from, but you know, I, I, Oftentimes, if I'm forced to choose one, it would probably be the Martian Chronicles, I think. The range of stories, the different kinds of stories that are told in there, the different the different characters. I mean, it's just an incredible book. Uh, yeah. I think it's got 
the hallmarks of the finest Bradbury language. The prose is, is gorgeous. The ideas are incredibly original and varied. That story you're talking about, The Million Year Picnic, you know, the ending of the Martian Chronicles and, you know, they look in the river or in the water and they see the reflection and realize that they now are the Martians. Yeah. Human beings are the Martians. And it's just, Bradbury really felt that all good stories have to have some sort of metaphor at their cent- at their center. They stand for a larger human truth, the way Greek, Roman, Chinese, Norse mythology have these sort of morals and or metaphors to them. And Bradbury really latched onto that idea as a young writer and thought that all good stories should have a larger metaphor at their center. And so when he latched onto this idea of one day when we colonize Mars and we go there, we will become the Martians. And that that's that's the central metaphor it's a remarkable metaphor i love that book so much you can Mm. go back and read that book again and again and again and rediscover new things about it i can't believe he wrote that book in his 20s if you think about it yeah it's incredible thinking about what i did in my 20s and (laughs) (laughs) me too brother (laughs) what did i accomplish let's see yeah i'm with you there yeah Bradbury has a strong connection to Halloween and to autumn. You know, he's uh, the October country is a collection of just great short stories. His, what does he call the the family? The, um, the Elliot's. Yeah. The Elliot's there you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's from a book called the, from the dust returned. Right. 2001. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, that, that was a great, a great read. And again, he, he does this thing where he takes short stories and kind of, weaves them into a, a narrative, uh, which that is amazing too, that he can take all these stories written from all over this time frame, and then just a, a little tweak here and there and they all fit together. Yeah. You know, he when in his twenties, he kept trying to write a novel and he realized he couldn't do it yet. He didn't know how to write a novel. And so he said, I found a way to sort of sneak around it by uh, writing connected short stories. And he said, they're not really novels. He's like, the Martian Chronicles is not really a novel. It's a collection of Martian short stories that connected make a novel. But he said, they're really short stories. That book you mentioned from the dust returned and the family, you know, he had started, he had written this story called the homecoming in the mid 1940s. And it's just really about this family of ghouls and creatures and monsters who are celebrating their, their Thanksgiving. And that of course would be on Halloween and Mm -hmm. Every the family's all coming back for a, a reunion. It's sort of their Thanksgiving, and one of the family members is this human child with no monstrous abilities or affectations. Timothy is his name, and and it's really a story about adolescence and feeling like an outcast. He's the only non-monstrous inhabitant of this house. You know, when Bradbury wrote that, it was illustrated by Charles Adams. It was published in Mademoiselle magazine, I believe October 1945 or 46. It's slipping my mind. But Charles Adams, a great New Yorker writer who went on to create the Adams family, illustrated that story. And Bradbury then had the idea, what if we were to do a novel together, a novel about the Elliott family written by Ray Bradbury, completely illustrated by Charles Adams. And Adams agreed. Uh, I have the letters between the two of them corresponding about this. They were going to print it on black paper with white ink, and it was going to be a Halloween book. Bradbury always loved one of his favorite books of all times, again, going to Christmas, was A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. He loved that story. 
And he said, what if we were to do for Halloween what Charles Dickens did for Christmas? And Adams, Charles Adams was hooked and said, let's do this together. So they started to look for publishers, but the book never happened because Charles Adams' price was just too high. It was $300 an illustration, if memory serves correct. And no publisher was willing to, to pay for it. So the book never happened. It kind of sat in Bradbury's files for a good almost 60 years unpublished until the early 2000s when he pulled it out, dusted it off, found ways to connect the stories a little bit. So it was finally published, but sadly and tragically, what could have been the great Halloween book collaboration between Ray Bradbury and Charles Adams never truly happened. But that book is a fantastic book. nonetheless. Yeah. I, I love, I love that book. Uh, and I think it's probably the end of, of that story where Timothy is, is I think he's there with his mummified, grandmother and yeah. and he's either he or, or she was telling him to listen my takeaway from that was you know that encouragement to listen to uh the stories she she told and to listen to what's happening and to tell those stories but it's been a few years since i've read it uh, and i read it as an adult uh, i think i really would have connected with it as a teenager especially yeah you know, he, like I said, he was a great writer for kids. I think part of the reason he was able to do that is that, in fact, I, I posted a picture yesterday on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw it that I found never before seen of, uh, it was taken in 2003 of Ray carving a pumpkin in his uh, little breakfast room of his house. And there's just this joie de vivre, this childlike love of life in that photo. And that he had that. I think one of the great secrets to his remarkable success was that he really stayed connected to his inner child. He never, he never lost touch with it. This, the, the joy of being alive, the joy of creativity, the fearlessness that children bring to their creativity, they color outside of the lines, literally and figuratively with yeah. crayons. And he never lost touch with that, with that boy inside of him. He grew up and became, you know, this incredibly well-rounded, well-read, adult human being who was a genius in my estimation, but yet also within him was this boy that he never lost touch with. He collected toys till the end of his life. He loved to go to Comic-Con in San Diego. We went many, many times together and he would buy so much stuff. You know, it was like going with an eight-year-old. Every day at the comic book convention was Christmas day to Ray Bradbury, you know, and yeah. that that's the great secret to his success is the connection to his inner child. And so I think that's why when you connect to his books and say, if I had read this when I was a little kid, I would have loved it. And that's Bradbury wrote it at, you know, still very much a little child, a little boy through the rest, through the entirety of his life. Uh, I think if we can all muster a way to reconnect to our inner child, life's a lot more fun. Definitely. So by now people are, probably wondering if this is a Christmas podcast, why are we talking about Halloween? <laughs> well, uh, as I said, this is a special Halloween edition. Bradbury did write a couple of Christmas stories. Uh, yeah. and, and the one I want to talk about today is called The Gift. And it's a very short one. It's maybe two pages. Yeah, it's very short. Yeah. It, it tells this beautiful story, honestly, of his family going to space and it's Christmas. I think it's Christmas Eve. They're not allowed to bring their, their tree and presents along because of weight limits and everything. And I don't know what year that was written, probably fifties or sixties or somewhere. Early 1950s. It was published in December of 1952 in Esquire magazine. But so the, the boy, you know, he wants 
he wants Christmas as, as most boys do. The father is able to take him up to the observation deck and show him the galaxy. And he, and the boy sees all of those stars. I, I just find that to be breathtaking in, in its simplicity. Even I know I'd read it before, but I read it for the first, well, uh, first time in a long time this year, I, I was floored. Like, I mean, that story kind of stuck with me for a few days after that, you know, here's a dad, you know, giving his son the gift of the stars. And here's, here's a boy who's staring at the wonders of the galaxy, like, like a Christmas tree, a lot of symbols of Christmas uh, and thoughts and symbols of hope and of, you know, redemption. And that, that really hit me where I'm at, you know, and then again, just going back to the wonder that Bradbury sees in about space and about really all of nature and creation around us is I think it just per, so perfectly captures all that. Well, you just really summarized it beautifully and, and to have that level, that kind of message in a story that's so short is really incredible to, to take that much away from something that's ostensibly almost flash fiction. It's, it's so short. I've never met anybody in my life who lived with such immense gratitude. Every time we stepped out of his house in Los Angeles to go out, he would he would stop and take notice of things. You know, the roses in his garden in the backyard, the quality of sunshine in the sky, uh, the way the wind was blowing. He was very mindful. We talk about mindfulness as, as, as a way to stay connected to God or the universe or to slow our life down in a, in a time when everything is so fast. He was so mindful and so grateful. And the story you're talking about, the gift, to me is so much about gratitude. You don't need a present under your tree to get a gift. Every day to Ray Bradbury was a gift. He loved life. And that philosophy is very center to that story. It's about, if you just open your eyes and look at the majesty of the universe, it's the greatest gift of all. Again, it goes back to his philosophy that God put us here to witness that majesty, to celebrate it. That, I think, is the center meta- central metaphor of that story. I had read uh, The Werewolf Principle, I think it was called. It's an older science fiction type story, but there is a line in there that the author said that he can think of nothing more tragic than having somebody stand on the edge of something wonderful and feel nothing. And I, I'm forgetting the exact quote there. And I think, and I had been reading some Bradbury at the time too, and that really connected me back to him that I think he'd agree with that, that if, you know, we're surrounded by beautiful things, you know, right now, you know, with our, the way our country is, the shape it's in right now, there's a lot of, well, this isn't a politics podcast, so I'll be <laughs> but podcast. yes, Come right, on, right. Uh, but there, there's a lot of just terrible things, but, you For know, there's sure. so much beauty around us. Always. That it, it's a shame that if we miss that and don't yeah. take a minute to stop and be, as you said, be grateful and, and wonder at it. Yeah. I flew out to his home every two weeks for years and years from my home in Chicago to his every two weeks I'd fly out there and it would remind me of every time I was with him, like stop and smell the proverbial roses, man. I mean, when you were with him, you re- you, I would always come home in a better mood feeling grateful. That was really his, uh, his gift. He, he loved living. He wanted to keep living. I mean, he told me he really wanted to live to a hundred. He almost made it to 92, but he really loved life. I remember once I interviewed him at San Diego comic-con in front of like a thousand people, we were on stage 
and I asked him a question I'd never really asked him before. I said, you've written about time travel often. If you were to time travel back to one moment in your life, you only get one, what moment would you go back to? And he said, any of them, uh, any single moment. Uh, he said, even the bad ones, they were all a gift. Uh, he yeah. loved and appreciated life. When you're talking about this story, the gift, I don't know if you have a copy of this book, Art. Uh, I, I don't. It, this is a remarkable book. Here I am uh, promoting someone else's book. This was, <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> this was put together by Jerry Wiest, who sadly is no longer with us. But he was uh, a collector and he worked for Sotheby's Auction House. And he put this book in. So it's an illustrated book of Bradbury's life. It's kind of the visual companion to my book, The Bradbury Chronicles. But they, they reprint a lot of the art. And so here is the story, uh, if I can. That yeah. is, that's the art that ran in... That's the illustration or painting that ran in Esquire magazine in December of 1952 uh, by an artist named Ren Witt. I think it's one of the best illustrations to a Bradbury story. You really get, can you see that pretty yeah, well? Yeah, I can. Uh, that's a beautiful yeah. red version of the story of the little boy waking on Christmas morning to see his gift. And the gift, of course, is the universe and the stars outside. Yeah, what, a, what an incredible story. So, yeah, this is a great yeah. book. And you can find this, you know, used very reasonable. It's just a, a fantastic book. This is a story I've never told, actually. I've never told anybody this. But when I first started working with Ray and I asked him, you know, if I could do a biography on his life, he said, well, there's a gentleman named Jerry Weiss doing an illustrated biography on me right now. So mm -hmm. he's not a writer. Why don't you write his book for him? He'll collect the photos and you write it. And that made me really uncomfortable because this guy had already sold his book to a publisher. And now Ray's saying, I want you to write this guy's book. And then he started to insist on it. He's like, you know, Jerry's not a, Jerry's not a writer. He's a collector. And so he's going to get all the artwork and all the illustrations and all the things, put them together. You write it. And I felt so bad for this guy because he'd already sold the book as a yeah. proposal and now Ray's insisting that I write this man's book and it was really awkward I apologized to him I said Jerry I don't want to step in on your turf I've never told that story before and he's like yeah I appreciate you saying that it is really weird you know what do you, what are we going to do and Ray you know when Ray got an idea he could be very stubborn you know and and he stayed connected to his inner child and that meant that he could have tantrums and he was he could he, he had to have it his way just like little kids do and he's like no you're writing this Sam I want you to write it I'm like my poor Jerry Wiest has already been paid uh, by a publisher to do this book and so Jerry and I sort of teamed up and said how, how are we going to get Ray to agree you know i i didn't want to step on this it'd be like me writing a book and now suddenly else is writing my book for me I, you know and so we wrote ray several times and and appealed to him and said let's do two books one is visual one is written and he said no i think it's too much you know and so that went on for months until finally ray wrote me a letter and said i've changed my mind he said you jerry will put the dots down and you connect them sam do two books so again, he's using a metaphor, yeah. you know, Jerry will put the dots down and you connect the dots in your book. And so Ray finally agreed to do two books, the, the illustrated life. And then my first book, the Bradbury Chronicles, but yeah, that's a story I've never told before. So you get an exclusive exclusive. All right. On the Christmas <laughs> podcast. Ray loved Christmas, by the way, if we're going to talk about Christmas, yeah. Ray loved Christmas. Um, Good. I'm sorry if you're hearing construction. I, I live in the city of Chicago and we are in sure. the midst 
COVID is, uh, you know, shutting a lot of things down, but it's not halting construction work in the city yeah, of Chicago. No problem. Ray uh, wrote a Christmas book. I don't know if you have it. It's a children's book called Dogs Think Every Day is Christmas. It's just yeah. a, a little poem. It's a single uh poem that was illustrated. Ray always thought that dogs have probably the most gratitude of all of the creatures of this earth, that every day to them is Christmas Day. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, there's the metaphor. And so he wrote a poem about it and, and it uh, was published as a very small children's gift book. Dogs think every day is Christmas. He didn't want to leave cats out. So he wrote a similar book called uh, with cat for comforter so it's two little gift books about dogs and cats mm. but man it, this he loved christmas time christmas was a very important time for him he had four daughters and he realized that he could never make them happy on christmas day because someone was always jealous of someone else's gift so he started to buy them all the same things so nobody <laughs> would argue <laughs> that's great <laughs> so i was reading um you know i i, I read probably too much. Well, is there such a thing? Never. <laughs> no. Never, never, never. Uh, uh, then I, I came across um, Arthur C. Clarke's story, The Star. I thought it was just interesting how Clarke uses the star versus how Bradbury does. In Clarke's story, these, I think they're uh, maybe Jesuit scientists or something, yep. and they're, they explore a an area that a supernova had gone off and yeah. they find this planet and they find remains of a civilization. They're all gone. All that's left is what they preserved in this um, museum kind of thing. And then the, the end really just hits you hard where let me, I want to read that when he, he realizes you know, how far back in time our earth history would have seen the light of the supernova star. And it says, that there can be no reasonable doubt the ancient mystery is solved at last. Yet, oh God, there were so many stars you could have used. What was the need to give these people to the fire that the symbol of their passing might shine above Bethlehem? Wow. And then you're, you're just, oof. <laughs> wow. You know, and beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting how Clark was very scientific you know, and, and Bradbury is very fanciful, you know, not that that's a negative thing, you know, with Clark, the main character of that story, he's struggling with his faith. You know, he's this, this has completely blown everything he's ever believed out, out of the water. And he's struggling with that. Yeah. But then Bradbury takes that and uses those stars as, as a sign of hope and wonder. I've, I find the two to be very, uh, it's just an interesting how they kind of take the same thing and then see it differently. You know, maybe for Clark, he sees science as his salvation. And and maybe, you know, Bradbury sees the wonder and exploration as as what uh, will, quote unquote, save us or help us to, to continue. There's an old quote that says there are the ABCs of science fiction, Asimov, Bradbury, and Clark, but Bradbury outsold all the rest of them 10 to 1. <laughs> um, and I think that part of the reason for that is that there's a humanity. Bradbury wasn't concerned with the technical side of science fiction. He was concerned with the human side of science fiction. And I think mm -hmm. his stories are very humanist. And that's, I think, why so many people connect to him. He knew Arthur C. Clarke well and, and loved him, but you know, they're different writers. And so Bradbury was not, there's hard science fiction, which is very technically based. And then there's Bradburyan science fiction that is uh, drenched in the human condition and the human heart. You know, there you're getting at something here, though, that I think there's an immense spirituality to Bradbury's work as there was to that Clark story that you, mm -hmm. you 
cited. The story, the gift that you've mentioned here, it's almost like this religious experience for this little child and this family of this awakening to the universe and seeing the glory of God. It's a very religious experience, that story. You know, and Bradbury really looked at, you know, some people argue that if we find life on other planets, that will disprove God. And Bradbury felt that it's to the contrary, that if we find life on other planets, it will only prove more fervently that the universe was created by this divine being. So he really looked at the conquest of space as vital to discovering God and further. And wow, God didn't just create earth, but God created many other things too, and created it all, mm-hmm. created it all. And he felt that the, that by going out to outer space was essential for the continuation of humanity. I mean, he told the, me this often that, you know, at some point so far down the road, I don't even know how long it'll be, but our sun will go out or war, famine, disease, what have you could cause us to no longer exist, uh, pandemics, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, and said that the only way to truly continue our species is to go out to the deeps of space to continue humanity. That it's, it's, an, it's the only way to assure our survival is to reach out to the cosmos. And that in order to quote unquote, live forever, Bradbury said that all the time, to live forever, we need to go out to space. And he, you know, the night we landed on the moon, he was interviewed by Mike Wallace. And he said that this is our one opportunity to go out and conquer space and to replace mankind's terrible history of war and to redirect our warrior spirit and to go out to outer space in a positive way as warriors and to find another planet and to live forever by continuing our species on another world. Very powerful. And that's why he was so committed to space travel and space exploration, because he said, you know, it's the only way we're going to we're going to survive is by going to another world. You know, I hear people saying about let's go to Mars, you know, let's explore Mars. And, and I say, yeah, let's do that. And then others say, well, you know, isn't that a waste of money or resources or this and that? Because there and, and there are there's a lot of problems going on in our world right now. But <laughs> I'm I'm kind of under the view of, you know, why did you climb Mount Everest? Because it's there, you know. <laughs> Uh, let's explore Mars. Let's see what what's there. I, I mean, I grew up loving the you know the NASA program, watching the space shuttles launch and all that. I I was such a nerd when I was a kid. <laughs> so I want to see more of that space exploration. I want to. I just want to explore you know the world around us and the universe around us. And I so I think things like that are great. And I know what a how that benefited you know especially the Apollo program. How they sort of fought the Cold War with Russia through the space program. And they found a way to do that nonviolently. And I think there's a lot to be said for that, not to mention all the technology that came from uh, what they developed and how that's benefited mankind since then. I I think there's a lot of positives. Yeah, you know, I think I I see your your point here. There's, There's the naysayers who think, you know, why are we spending billions of dollars on space exploration to go explore dead bodies of you know, celestial bodies, albeit the moon or Mars, when we have starvation, disease, and things that we could be using that money for here. Again, Bradbury would argue that we might cure all of those things, those those problems here on Earth through the technology of space exploration. You know, it's not just Tang and freeze-powdered food that came out of the space program. Microchip technology came out of the space program. And 
so much science has developed out of the space program. And so his, his point is that we don't know what we'll, we will discover through building rockets and going to Mars. There's so much out there that we, we have no clue what we'll discover, not just literally on Mars, but in getting to Mars and what it'll take to get there, the technology that could solve so many human problems we don't even know yet you know, mm-hmm. what it'll do. So he really looked at space travel as imperative. He was deeply disappointed that we abandoned the moon in 1972 and never went back. He felt that, that the moon was the platform to go beyond and that if we had continued to go to the moon, we could have put a colony on there, some sort of, you know, almost like a space station, but on the surface of the moon and use that as the, the step, the, the rock in the creek, if you will, to step on to get to the other side of the creek, and that would be Mars. And then beyond that, once we get to Mars, beyond our own solar system. Um, so that was really, space travel was essential to him, uh, mm. again, for the, the, the continuation of all humankind. And again, back to what he said, it renews that wonder, that childlike excitement to explore. That's one of my favorite quotes of his that opens Martian Chronicles. You know, it's my uh, unspoken philosophy <laughs> is to, you know, explore and to be just to find the world around you a, a wondrous thing. I've seen a lot of har- hardships in my life, and I'm sure you have too. We all have. Uh, I, I like to, to remind myself that there is, now I'm going to quote from Lord of the Rings here, but there's still good in this world. <laughs> it's worth fighting for. <laughs> It's it's worth exploring. Amen, brother. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we've we've talked all about all kinds of things here. Before we wrap up, are, is there anything you want to promote or or bring up? I know it's there's a lot going on with Bradbury this year. Yeah, I mean, we haven't mentioned that right now. 2020 is his centennial. He was born August 22nd, 1920, at 4:50 in the afternoon. I always think that's hilarious that he missed 4:51 by a minute. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Thing is he wrote Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. Um, but we're in his centennial year. And so there's been a number of events. You know, sadly, a number, most of them have been canceled due to COVID, like everything else. But there's been a number of virtual events um, that have been spectacular. I did an interview with Neil Gaiman last May that ran. You can find that um, if you Google Neil Gaiman and Sam Weller, you can find that. Celebration of Bradbury. It's pretty easy to find on the internet. Uh, I mentioned that I have a new book out that really, you know, was inspired by Bradbury's 1955 book, The October Country. I always found it kind of tragic that he wrote, you know, one collection of gothic horror and then really moved on from that genre entirely. He didn't do any other short story collections that could fit into the gothic genre. Of course, he wrote Something Wicked This Way Comes, the novel in 1962. So he did return to that genre. But The October Country, I think, is one of his classic short story collections. It's spooky. It's creepy. It's very autumnal. I don't think any writer personified autumn better than Ray Bradbury. He owned the season, you know. And so that book really was an influence on my new book, Dark Black, which is gothic. It's It's more modern gothic. Certainly not a Bradbury book. I think some people pick it up and think, you know, that, oh, I'm going to get a Bradbury book. It's not a Bradbury book. It's it's my own book. And it's, so it's got my interests and my voice. There are some stories in there that are Bradbury. And uh, there's one in there called The Shadows Behind the Trees that I actually wrote in Ray's house. I wrote that in the Bradbury home 
just to see if the the magic fairy dust of Bradbury land would rub <laughs> off on me when I wrote that. And that story is very influenced by a short story that Bradbury wrote called The Lake about a, a ghost girl, a little child, a very sad story. And so that story is my own sort of take on a ghost girl. And it's about a little kid who goes up in the 1950s with her parents to the boundary waters of Minnesota and gets lost. And they call out search parties and dogs and they're never able to find her and the tragedy of parents having to pack their car up and leave and go home without their child and so now people are starting to see over the decades sightings of her and it's her spirit wandering the woods looking for the lost love that she never knew Hmm. hoping to reconnect with her parents and so it's a wandering spirit story that was very that's a bradburyan story in that book so dark black as i said came out September 22nd was the official publication date. If you order it directly from the publisher as opposed to getting it at a bookstore or on Amazon, the first 300 copies uh, sold out, but they were all signed by myself and the illustrator. It was very important to me to have this book illustrated. There's 20 illustrations in it. Ray illustrated his stories. He had a, he had a collaborator, Joseph Magnani, who he worked with on a number of things, including on that iconic artwork of Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. So I, I wanted to have an illustrator with this book to carry that Bradbury and tradition on why do grown-up books have to just be all text and so that was super important but if you order it directly from the publisher all the copies were signed by myself and Dan Jetza the illustrator they sold out but we are going to make another hundred available at hatandbeard.com and we're going to sign a hundred more so if if in the next couple weeks if you go to hatandbeard.com if you hurry there'll be a hundred more signed by myself and the illustrator and it's always important to order if you can to support small press publishers and order mm-hmm. from the publisher you know something that people don't talk about we all use amazon i do too but publishers that don't make much at all if you buy a book on amazon that's the reason jeffrey bezos is now like this james bond villain you know he he, <laughs> owns, he owns more of the world than you know 99 than the other 99 percent. and so supporting amazon doesn't really help writers and it doesn't really help publishers so anytime you can buy directly from a publisher you're helping uh, the longevity and continuation of great publishing and great writing. And that's hatandbeard.com. Hatandbeard.com. Yeah. Okay. And so there'll be a hundred copies signed by myself and Dan Jetsa, the illustrator, and those will be up in the next week or two. I, uh, that's where I got the book from. So I got, I've got your uh, autograph. It'll be worth millions someday. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're kind. I remember signing that edition directly to you. Art. I'm sure you did. So it's an honor. <laughs> You and I connect a lot on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, you're active and I'm active. And that's if people want to follow me on Twitter, I'll follow you back and we can stay connected. I try to post about Ray, if not every day, certainly every week and things that people haven't seen and stories they haven't heard. Uh, it's one way to continue to keep his legacy alive. So it's a good way to keep social media. Just because I've written four books on him doesn't mean that it has to stop. Social media allows me to continue to write about him every mm-hmm. day. So my Twitter handle is at Sam underscore underscore weller so it's at sam underscore underscore weller and a lot of bradbury every day out there yes there is that's i I always get excited when i see a new picture or something from from your account so i'll post something new just today just for you art okay all right right. something christmas related maybe if you have there you go there you go (laughs) oh i did i did want to say about your book as you mentioned there's an illustrator the illustrations are amazing uh, and I was going to say, if you don't like the stories, you should at least like like the pictures. 
<laughs> but yeah. you'll, you'll like both. <laughs> well, thanks for saying that. You know, the nature of any short story collection is there's going to be stories in there that people don't like mm-hmm. and stories that you do like, because there's a range of different kinds of stories in there. But yeah, Dan is this artist that I discovered. He does a lot of rock music posters and artwork for U2 and Black Keys and music is very important to my sort of aesthetic and so I, mm-hmm. I, I wanted that kind of vibe with the book and, and it's been a joy to work with him. And I, I was able to get one of his posters of Ray Bradbury's profile with the the, the rocket and everything in his in his head. It, it's perfect. Yeah, I love that. I love that poster. And again, that's a very limited edition print uh, that you have. I'm glad you got a copy of that because I think you only printed a hundred of those and that's it. Yeah, it came out right around my birthday. So I thought, well, happy birthday to me. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I know that he, he today he's making more prints from different stories from the book. He's doing one for a story called The Song of the Cicada. Mm-hmm. And that is a story that takes place in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um where you are, Art, and it's a kind of a 1950s jazz story. And, and there's a Dan illustrated a trumpet for that story. And, and he's, he's making a print of that one. He's doing a print of the cover. And then there's also a limited edition of the title story. It's basically uh, the title story, Dark Black, is about an oceanographer who is convinced that early on in his career, he saw the mythic Kraken. And at the end of his career, goes out on a fishing vessel to try to find the Kraken. It's kind of Jaws meets Moby Dick with a monster in it. Nice. And so he's doing a lithograph of that print as well. So yeah, you can, Dan's a phenomenal artist and his prints are all available. If you Google ground up press, ground up press, uh, you'll see all of Dan's artwork available for sale. And it's very reasonable. A lot of artists overpriced. I saw a photograph the other day that I fell in love with. It was just a beautiful photograph of a car from the 1950s driving on a country highway. And next to it was an old steam locomotive with the coal coming out of it. Smokestack. It's just a beautiful photograph. I said, I love that. I have to order it. I found it online. It was $25,000. I'm like, okay, too rich for my blood. You know, so oftentimes I'll find art. Art is so expensive. You know, original artwork is so pricey. And and Dan's artwork is very affordable on his website. It's just grounduppress.com, I believe, is his website. Yeah, I, I think the print I got was like forty dollars, maybe yeah. fifty. He signs them it's, all, and, yep. and very limited. So yeah, it's thank, beautiful. Thanks for supporting him, and I love that painting or that illustration of Ray Bradbury. It's gorgeous. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one one more question, I guess, before we go, since uh, this is a uh, Christmas podcast. Yeah. Do you do you have a favorite Christmas memory or tradition that you and your family do? Wow, that's I love that question. You know, interestingly enough, when you say, Do you have a favorite Christmas memory? I am also a tremendous fan of Truman Capote, and he wrote a book called A Christmas Memory. That if you haven't read it, it's just a, an essay about his childhood, it's nonfiction, and it's about his friendship with this elderly woman. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, we've started a tradition in my house uh, with my three daughters and my wife and I, where we always read we read Christmas stories aloud. We try to do it every Christmas. Some some years, you know, as my kids have gotten older, they're distracted by screens and other technologies. But one of the most magical moments of reading that I recall, we were living in Berkeley at the time in the Berkeley Hills in the East Bay in California. And my wife was in grad school at Berkeley and we had this beautiful, beautiful view from our house in the hills. We could see the Golden Gate Bridge. We could see the light on Alcatraz spinning. It's just beautiful. And that year for Christmas, we were living there. um, 
we read a section from Laura Ingle, Ingalls Wilder's book, um, The Little House on the Prairie. There's some fabulous Christmas chapters mm-hmm. in those books. And it's about really, we read that story it was before we had children. It was just my wife, my father, my brother, his wife, and, and my wife. And we read, we read that aloud to each other to celebrate Christmas through reading. And it's just, a, it's just a, there's a beautiful chapter in Little House on the Prairie about Mr. Edwards, this neighbor who lived miles and miles away from them. He brings gifts to the girls and they, you know, he makes them believe it's Santa. And it's just this just beautiful short chapter in Little House on the Prairie. So that's one of my favorite Christmas memories. There are so many. I mean, Christmas is so important. I love to decorate. I love, I love Christmas music deeply. Some people think that I turn Christmas music on on Thanksgiving Day and it's on rotation in our house uh, all the way through the holidays until about even after New Year's, you know, I'll listen to it around January 5th or the end of the 12 days, whatever that, that you know, I'll listen to. It. So Christmas music to me is just, I love it. So we have, we have a Christmas candle right now that smells like a Fraser fir that we've already lit because I love the smell of Christmas trees. We love reading Christmas stories and absolutely adore Christmas music. I would say probably my favorite Christmas album. There's so many, but uh, Vince Guaraldi trios, Charlie Brown Christmas is just yeah. You know, that's an American classic. That's a jazz classic. That album introduced me in, for my love of jazz. I mean, that was my first jazz album. Uh, as Bradbury is a gateway author to adult literature, Vince Guaraldi is a gateway author to jazz. You know, Absolutely. The, you know, yeah. uh, so, you know, I love that you do this podcast, Art. Christmas is such a beautiful time of year. And even in the middle of a pandemic, you know, thank goodness we have Christmas to look forward to and to celebrate and take stock of what we should be grateful for, even in the middle of a global pandemic, there's so much to still be grateful for. Christmas reminds us of that. Christmas is going to be different this year, but that's not a bad thing. You know, we just have to make some good memories. So I started a podcast. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, I, I do want to thank you for giving up an hour here to, to talk about Bradbury. Like I, I told you in an email, I could talk about him all day long. So I could do. well, just, you know, Give me a call anytime and let's just talk. You know, oh, I'm talking about Ray too. You bet. Uh, All right. So n- next, next October, I should have you on to talk about the Halloween tree. Oh. <laughs> let's, let's do it. Let's do All right. I'll pencil you in. <laughs> Happy Halloween to you, Art. And thanks Take for care. having me on. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed our trip uh, into space and beyond to celebrate Christmas. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this. I have more interviews coming up that I'm really excited about. We'll be sharing some more stories. Uh, We are getting into the best time of the year, and I'm glad that you are along on this trip with me. And as always, be kind to each other and share your stories. Explore the wonders of the universe around you and live long and prosper. And remember that there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. Have a very Merry Christmas.